0: Well, good morning. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We are seated. Feel free, though, to stand uh, if if you'd like. You can sit or stand as we get into worship together. We're going to start with Psalm twenty-three. The Lord's my shepherd. I green. He leads me by the still, still water. His goodness restores my soul. His goodness restores my soul. And He guides my way. Yes, will leave.
1: presence we find our strength over everything our redemption god with us you are
2: For this new day, to worship you, to learn how to know you better, to draw closer to you, and to spread your love to those around us. In this new year, we embark on an adventure of plumbing the depths of your word and learning together as a community. We pray for a fresh anointing on Pastor Steve to teach and to guide us. May we be open not only to hear, but to receive your truth and accept your guidance that we may grow closer to you. We thank you that you are in our midst, like a mighty wave wash over us. Continue to bless the many ministries of this community and bless those who participate. We join in prayer for this community For our military who serve throughout the world, bring your protection. For their families who serve here at home, bring your provision. For those in pain of body, mind, or spirit, bring your healing. For those mourning or in turmoil, bring your peace. For those who need to know you, bring your salvation. Help us to hear your voice and to stay in your perfect will for us today. We ask this in your precious name, and we will continue to give you all the honor and the glory and the praise. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
3: Amen. Carol, thank you. Please uh, have a seat. Welcome to worship on this beautiful morning. Oh my gosh, is it gorgeous. You can't help but feel a little bit bad that it's so nice today, right? I mean, think of all those people in all those places with heart no, you know, no, you don't. You know. Uh, I'd like to do a quick review to see how many of you grew up somewhere else and came here for the weather, but I won't do that. Um, uh, that's San Diego's history, really. Uh, all these guys, you know, people coming through the military, in various forms saying, "I want to come back here someday." Uh, so here we are on this beautiful day, worshiping God, and I can't think of a better setting. Uh, For a beautiful day, but to worship the Lord who created all things. So, we're asking the big question as we launch into a new year how does God's story shape yours? How does God's story shape yours? And you might say, Well, it doesn't. All right. We want to build on that. Uh, I I don't know if any of you, I want to ask, I don't want to see a show of hands, but uh, I'm just curious. Uh, how many people, I wonder, have done things like 23andMe or any of the genealogical searches to figure out just which royal family you did come from? Um, you know, which which you know which line of Howard Hughes's fortune you should pursue. Um, that kind of thing. Um, I have a cousin who uh, married a guy who turned out he was the last heir of Howard Hughes. I haven't heard from her since because I'm sure everybody has called her and said, hey, if you have an extra million, if you, you know, can I search your couch for the change? Or I don't know. Um, have you seen the show uh, featuring Louis Gates? He's a professor at Harvard, Finding Your Roots. Uh, it's a fascinating show, and they bring all kinds of celebrities, musicians, uh, actors, scholars, political leaders, uh, people who you'd know. They bring them on the show, and he's, he and his team have done this meticulous work to trace their heritage, their lineage. And you know the, the upshot of it is that people are laughing and crying as they go through this reveal of, of their roots. And then you know, some of them are super poignant. You know, uh, some of it's a bit of a geneogram. If you are a marriage and family therapist or you've, you've been through some therapy, a geneogram is simply a pathological genealogy. Uh, basically it's saying, where are the, all the dysfunctions in your family? And it causes all families to start pointing at each other. Uh, Nobody wants to take charge of that, but a a geneogram is essentially a map of all the trauma and travail that a family has gone through. And one of the beautiful things that families discover is that, wow, this is not a new problem in our family. Uh, Sort of like what you do with a medical history. Has anybody had these issues in your family? You go, oh my gosh, those are inheritable. For example, insanity, you inherit it from your children. Um, uh, all these genealogical implications uh, that we want to know about for medical issues uh, or for, for social, moral issues, uh, the kinds of things that can help a family prepare themselves. Uh, if you go over to Illumina, you can pay a small fortune, and they can map your genome, and they can tell you all kinds of things you probably really don't want to know uh, about yourself because uh, there's not much you can do about it. Uh, in this show with Lewis Gates, though, as is, is he reveals people's histories... There's all these aha moments or these, oh, that makes so much sense or a sense of affirmation or there's lament. People move to tears because of the heartache and heartbreak they see in these immigrant stories, for example, uh, or families who've experienced horrific disruptions through a war or enslavement or whatever. Uh, but the best thing at the end is that it, when it all comes together, uh, he hands them a book and basically this is your story. This is the framework for your story. And I think it's just fantastic. that It's one of those things. I, I, I want to be on that show with some trepidation. You know, don't tell me. Maybe you don't want to tell me everything. It might be hard to hear it all. Um, I, 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 I can tell you one link uh, for me is that, you know, if I ever meet Paul McCartney, uh, he's an ancient rock star. Some of you have never heard of him. Um, uh, if you're of a certain age, you had a favorite Beatle, uh, you know, uh, and so Paul McCarty, um, if I ever meet him, I'm going to say, "Oh my gosh, um, do you remember Ralph Gunyon? And he'll probably start laughing. And go, good God, yeah. Um, he got me my first job <laughs> at the YMCA in Liverpool in Bootle. So my uncle Ralph was a represented Great Britain in table tennis, and because there's not a lot of money in that sport, apparently. Uh, Not a lot of sponsorships going on. He worked at the YMCA there in Bootle in Liverpool. And part of his job to be sponsored as this, you know, international uh, tennis table. We call it ping pong, of course, but a table tennis uh, person was to arrange dances. And so he would arrange these dances and he'd hire the Beatles because they were a cheap date. They were basically an inexpensive band that you could get, you know. And so I would say, hey, you, you remember Ralph Gunn? He'd probably start laughing. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, you know. Uh, That's that's a long way back And the way I look at it then historically Is Winston Churchill, Ralph Gunyan Paul McCartney and me It's all kind of a link There's kind of a link there The free world, the transformation of the new world Culturally, it all kind of goes together So um, Why do we care And why do we ask the question How is God's story shaping yours? Because your DNA goes back To the very beginning Let me put it in medical field, uh, you know, scientific terms. Your DNA goes back to the the beginning of all things. Your DNA is embedded in creation. Have you ever thought about that? Your DNA is embedded in creation. Because the history of all people in all places at all times begins with God's creation of the world. Now, I don't have time to go into all the support of that. We're going to do that. We're launching into a, a deep dive into, into the Bible. Be, um, next week we'll jump into Genesis and we'll hit Exodus. And, we'll, hit, and we'll, we'll sort of do some unpacking. Maybe you've done this before. This will be a great review for you. Maybe it's brand new. It'll be an eye-opener for you. And even then we'll be doing pretty much a survey because yeah, how you know, in, in one Sunday service can you really get to the heart of everything in Genesis? But at least we'll give you a sense of your story as we move through the entire Bible. Why are we doing this? i tell you why we're doing it. It's sort of a, a binary. Either this is God's word and we should pay attention to it, or it's not and we should ignore it. We should treat it like any other story. But I'm telling you, as you dive into the story, you're going to say, oh my gosh, this is as good as Game of Thrones. This is as good as, 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 as Empire. This is as good as, pick, you know. Um, it, it, maybe right now when it comes to the Bible, you're like me trying to read Harry Potter or watch one of the movies. I'm like, I don't get it. I don't, you know, so... But because I've read Lord of the Rings three times, or The Hobbit three times, you know, as a high school kid and growing up, I I know that story. I can track that story. Maybe for you, though, the Bible may as well be one of those stories that is there's too many characters. It's like a Russian novel. I can't keep track of the names. Not only can I not pronounce them, I can't keep track of them. But there's all kinds of dark things happening in this Dostoevsky, Tolstoy account of something in Russia. We want to pierce that darkness and and show some light for you as it relates to the Bible. We want you to know your roots. We want to help you and all of us together find our roots. Understand that our direct linkage goes to the beginning of all things. And that if we don't understand it, we're missing out on a lot of our life. Now, you don't need it to live your life at one level. But really, why would you want to live your life without knowing it, right? It makes your life that much richer. It puts it in perspective. It's really essential to know it, actually, because it's our purpose. So let me give you a brief overview of the Bible. First of all, I want to acknowledge that the Bible is really confusing the way it's ordered. If we were reading this in Hebrew, uh, we'd have a bunch of scrolls. We'd have 39 scrolls. And they'd be organized in a way that's pretty coherent. But the way somehow the, the English Bible is organized is completely uh, confusing to me, uh, maybe to you, because I, I look at that, I say, okay, they have what people call the Law: the Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then there's some history books: Joshua, Judges, Ruth, uh, something called First and Second Samuel, and there's a couple of other First and Seconds: Kings and Chronicles. Uh, there's this Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther; several stories there that all are under this category of history. Then there's this thing called Wisdom and Poetry, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, then there's a section called the Prophets. There's 17 of these prophets. Um, some of them are called Major, some are called Minor. I don't know, is that like baseball? I don't know, you do work a little harder and you get up into the big leagues? I don't know. I do know now, but when I first was confronted with this, I thought, I, I just don't understand this. All this stuff happens at the very end. You go, okay, you got cleanup hitters, prophets, get up there. What's really going on here is it's all integrated in a way that you say, oh, this is a, f- a really unified literary whole with deep, specific theological, spiritual implications to tell us a story from God's perspective and ours. So let me try to give you just a five minute overview of the thing. So we see in in the first part of the Bible these five books. And we call them the law. They're called the Torah. In Greek they're called the Pentateuch, five. Uh, What they really are though are books of instruction. They're telling us what it looks like to be in a relationship with God. The first 11 chapters, first three chapters talk about creation, the first two chapters. Third chapter, it, it all goes sideways because God has given humanity complete authority to manage this creation, and we betray God. This dark force, personified as a snake, convinces humankind, Adam and Eve, in this case, that they're not, that God might be holding out on them, because if they eat of this fruit that He's prohibited, they might have powers and control that they don't presently have. All in all, an in innuendo, all lies. But there's more for you. He's holding out on you, and so they take uh, that hook. They they. And they, far, they, they, they fall hard. And they're banished from this idyllic, paradisical place. The next chapters, uh, next, you know, eight chapters, show how humankind just devolves. Ending in this Babylon city where everybody is doing their own thing in their own way at everybody else's expense. It's horrible. Families kill each other. People are enslaved. I mean, it's just—it's just a mess. You read it, and you think Game of Thrones could be a preschool book. After you read these first chapters, and then God calls a man named Abram, Abraham later, and his wife Sarah later, Sarai later, Sarah, and He says, "I'm gonna—I'm gonna bless you with a family. You're right. You're older people who don't have kids. I'm gonna give you a family. And out of that family, I'm gonna build a nation. And through that nation, I'm gonna bless all nations and all families." And we see this kicking in in Genesis 12. And so for the rest of that book, and we'll go into a little bit more deeply next week, and all the rest of those books in those five first Bible uh, books, we see God instructing his people about what it looks like to be in a relationship with him. And it's all over the place. I mean, they get taken into slavery in Egypt, and and, uh, we end it with a guy named Joseph having been sold into slavery and redeemed and running Egypt and saving his family. Uh, and he says, you know, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And that's a pretty good summary of actually all of those five books in the Bible. That's the end of Genesis. But he's really saying what you did by choice that unraveled the promise of this creation, God is going to make right. So those first five books give us all this instruction. So if you're reading the Bible, you go, oh, numbers, what's a number? Well, the people were in a census mode. But the real name for that book is In the Wilderness. This is how they ordered their life in the wilderness. Le- Leviticus, what's that? What's how the priests are supposed to serve the people. What's Deuteronomy? It's like, I'm going to remind you, Deutero, second time around, we're going to talk about what this all means. We see that God raises up this guy, Moses, and, and arguably the most important person in the Old Testament. Testament simply means covenant, agreement, partnership. There's a first one, an older one, we call it, and a newer one. And So through Moses uh, the people are taken out of captivity. This amazing event called the Passover. They receive the law from God. And so this kicks in a whole journey toward this promised land that Abram had been promised. And yet it is yet unfilled. And yet the people are again disobedient. It's like a, the, the early chapters of Genesis all over again. And so it takes them 40 years to go what could take them you know, a long weekend essentially. And then finally they're in this promised land. A guy named Joshua is, is appointed to lead them into the land and they have this beautiful place. And uh, it all goes sideways again. And so there's this thing called Judges where, where God raises up these men and women who are saying, okay, let's get right back together here. And it's a legal issue, it's a moral issue, it's a, it's a cultural issue. Let's pull the people back together again. Gideon, Samson, Deborah, um, if, your name, if you're here and your name is Deborah, you're a natural judge You know how to sort things out for people uh, If your name is, is Samson, uh, get a haircut No, don't get a haircut um, And then, then they have this, this period of judges And then they say, you know, we really want a king All these other kingdoms have a king Why don't we have a king? And God says, well, I am your king Right, but we want a real king Okay And so they start this, this king thing And the first one doesn't go well and so the second one is a bit better, David, and they Israel now hits their high point, powerful, 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 wealthy beyond measure, and then finally Solomon, the son of David. And so all this literature is being written, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, Chronicles is probably the last thing written in the whole Old Testament, actually. David's writing Psalms, Solomon's writing these wise sayings, and so all of a sudden you have not only instructions, what we call the Torah you have uh, these writings that in Hebrew is ketuvim. They're like instructions, but they're lyrical. They're poetic. They're powerful. They're songs. They're inspiring. And so Solomon here in all of his glory asks for wisdom. And it looks really good. But then his sons get into an argument about who is actually going to run this thing after Solomon dies. And the kingdom divides where all these people have been brought together, tribes and nations into one nation, Israel, north and south, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. It's all unified under David, under Solomon. It all comes apart. It gets so bad that these kings not only don't talk to each other, uh, they don't talk to God. And the people, again, do what's right in their own eyes. And so here God raises up all these prophetic voices. There were prophets along the way. Samuel was the one who said, I think David's the guy who's supposed to be king. Other prophets as well, but now God raises up prophets to say, whoa, 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 you guys are going way off track. And so these major prophets are those simply the ones that had the longest influence. They wrote the most stuff. They're the biggest names. Um, they're the anchor tenants in the prophet development. So Isaiah and Jeremiah. And they're saying, hey, this is not going well. Come back to God. And they're saying, yeah, 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 in a minute or a month or a year or never. And so by 7:25, the northern part of Israel is invaded and taken into captivity. Ten tribes disappear like that, repopulated by people who have never lived there before. Now everybody in the house is going, "Whoa, they deserve that, I guess. Did't lucky. It wasn't us." You know hundred years later, it's like, "Hey, prophet here, um, message for Judah. And all the people in Jerusalem, you're next, you're up, you're in the batter's box, unless you repent, it's not, it's not going to go well for you. And so this empire, the Assyrian empire, again, the Babylonian empire, is back. And the people are taken off into captivity. And the prophets are saying, oh, okay, you're in exile, it's horrible, it's been a mess, it's been a massacre, Israel is disrupted, the, the temple is destroyed, be faithful to God. Yeah, he needs to bring us home. Be faithful to God, and in due time he will. And this is where all those names like Daniel and Esther uh, come to the fore, and all those prophets you can't pronounce. You know, there's there's an Italian one, Malachi. Um, uh, Malachi, I'm sorry, that's Malachi. Um, <clears throat> all of them are saying, let's let's either let's repent and repair and, and recover. And so uh, now it's down down toward about you know the middle of the. It's like the 450s. And um, Daniel has been faithful to God through this time. And so the Babylonian guys go, you know, a guy named Darius says, hey, um, you're really good people. You've been amazing. In fact, I'm really curious about your God, and I I, want to honor your God. Now, he never committed, but he gave great favor to Daniel. And, And he said, I'm willing to let some people go back and, and rebuild. This started that process. Of course, Darius was kind of tired of being the king of the Babylonian Empire, so he said, "You know, I think I'm going to do an exit deal, an equity strategy. I'll get my stuff out, and do a transition of leadership." And so he co- he collaborates with this guy named Cyrus, who's a Persian, and he flips his own kingdom. So the Babylonians are out, the Persians are in, and so it's a whole new chaos going on. But the Persians actually really like. The Jews, because they say, you know, we, we like the fact that you have a God and all your prophets are pretty straight shooters. And we like it when people actually live in the land that they live in because then we can control that land through them. It's a very stable environment. The Romans picked up on this, by the way. And then Cyrus' son, Artaxerxes, says, you know, I'm having a big problem with the Greeks on one side and the Egyptians on the other. I got an idea. Let's let the rest of the Jews go back. A second wave. And so you get guys like Haggai, well the first guy was Haggai, then you get Ezra, Zechariah, Nehemiah, Malachi, all these people are the last wave. And so as we get to the end of the uh, of that era, the Old Testament, you're about you know, you get to uh, 425 B.C. They're back in Israel. They're back in Jerusalem. And then it's quiet for 400 years. But what's happened is The people said, we don't want that to happen again. But still they do. They they rebuild the temple, they rebuild the wall around the city, but it's just, they'll they'll get it together, then they'll they'll take their eyes off God. Do you know anybody like that? 400 years is quiet. All kinds of influences. If you've ever heard of the book, The Apocrypha, if you grew up in in the Catholic Church, you had the Old Testament, the New Testament, and some books in between. Uh, Those were the books that aren't counted as part of the Bible, but they were so instructive that they were included along with the Bible. The Jews don't accept that as as part of their scripture, but they say these are collateral documents. It's kind of like you might read the Bible, but your favorite go-to person to read is C.S. Lewis or Jesus Calling or something like that. It's not the Bible, but it it really helps you understand the Bible. So for 400 years, that was going on. And then, of course, um, all kinds of machinations... Kingdoms come and go. Alexander the Great the, 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 the Romans, the Egyptians and, and Jesus shows up. And people are convinced that he's either a complete uh, fake or he is the Messiah promised of God. All that Old Testament stuff seems to line up to say Jesus is the one. But then it's weird because Jesus comes as not a conquering king but a servant. And he says, you know what, the way we reverse this whole trend of, of human domination under sin and death is for the power of sin and death to be broken by a perfect sacrifice. So all of a sudden, all that stuff you see in those first five books, you go, whoa, there's, all, there's you mean a person who's supposed to fulfill this? This idea of a king, there's supposed to be a, a different kind of king? The prophet role, there's supposed to be someone who speaks the truth about what is and what will be. And it all comes together in this Messiah. And so this is a whole reiteration of the, of the old covenant into a new, fresh covenant. Not at the expense of the first, but the continuation and fulfillment of the first into the, into the completion of this is where it's supposed to go. So that's where we get to the New Testament. So you have histories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Histories of Jesus' ministry. Acts. A history of the Holy Spirit working through people in new cultures. You have all these letters because you have the same stuff going on again that you saw in the first part of Genesis and through the history of Israel, people not getting along with God or with one another. So there's these letters. We call them epistles. Epistle is just a a letter written by an apostle. And and you have fun with that, right? Apostles write epistles. Normal people just write letters. Um, But they're solving problems. They're reminding people of who they are, what's the theology, what's the historic context. And they're basically saying what I said at the beginning of this. This is where your DNA goes. This is how you find your roots. Yeah, but I'm Greek. Right. Well, I'm a slave. Mhm. I'm a Gentile, of some other form, uh, right. but neither slave nor free, male or female, Jew or Greek. It doesn't matter. You're all one in Christ. He's the one who brings you back into right alignment with the God through whom all things were created. And that ends, that whole process ends with this prophetic letter from one of the apostles named John called Revelation. A letter to seven churches uh, talking about where they are, where they're not, and then what's to come. A new heaven and a new earth. So really from the beginning of all things to the conclusion of all things, and a new heaven and a new earth. It's a, it's, the Bible is, is a book that comes out of history, rooted in geography. Dozens of writers over thousands of years and yet it's still a unified literary whole. Mind-boggling. I mentioned uh, the Chronicles at the very end. The final uh, person who, who looked back over it all and said, okay, I want to I put this together in a way that people can understand better uh, is a guy named Ezra. So he's the one who wrote First and Second Chronicles. because He said, let me summarize where we've been. He's the one who put the genealogies together that, that Matthew and Luke can borrow from and expand on. So you see this incredibly precise plan that God had that looks kind of all over the place, just people randomly writing things, but rather it was God's consistent, committed continuation of what he intended for all of us. That's why his story inevitably, irrevocably, and essentially shapes our story. So let me, let me wrap this together by reading you two scriptures Uh, One out of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 55, uh, verses 1 to 11. Remember, Isaiah is one of the major prophets, he was a prophet for a very long time. Um, uh, He was incredibly eloquent. We have so much of the information about what to expect in a Messiah from Isaiah. And remember, these prophets did what they did because they were called by God, and if they lied, it didn't go well with them. There are false prophets. And there's a cost to being a false prophet. And there's also a cost to being an authentic prophet because Isaiah and Jeremiah and a lot of them uh, had a tough ending, just like the apostles did. So here's what Isaiah says. He says, uh, Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. And you okay, this is evocative vivid language. What's going on here? He says, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy And Of course, anybody reading this would go, I've been saying that for years. Finally. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Now this is Isaiah speaking on behalf of God. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. It's one of the longest sentences in the Bible seek the Lord while he may be found, call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts." That is God's absolute authoritative, credible declaration and promise through the prophet Isaiah. His word will not return to him void. It does what it accomplishes. It achieves the purpose for which he speaks it. Just like when he said, let there be light, there was light. Just like he formed us uh, out of the common materials of creation and breathed life into us, so we have life. Uh, Jesus' miracles they weren't to show off, they were to make a point. They are vivid illustrations of the fact that God uh, is, well, not only cares and is committed, but He can do something about our situation. He uses natural processes, He uses supernatural processes. One isn't any better than the other. If, if you pray and you get healed, awesome. If you pray and you go to the doctor and they figure out what it is and they heal you, awesome. If you don't get better and you die and we have a funeral and commit you to the Lord, it's awesome. There's grief and loss mixed in there. There's fear and trepidation and all those various stages and steps. But ultimately, we say, Lord, I trust in you and you alone. For nothing and no one can get in the way of your word and your purposes. See, that is your roots. That is your DNA. That's what allows you to raise your head high and say, this is the biggest challenge I've ever faced. I don't know what to do, but I will trust in the Lord. And I'll use every natural capacity that I have and ability. I'll use every resource available to me. I will certainly not use prayer as a final, last thing. No, I'll I'll be praying all along for wisdom and discernment. And I'll trust God every step of the way. And the point of this isn't to become religious, it's, it's to become alive. As we express our life in creative ways, some that are very routine and methodical, Predictable. Others that are just completely spontaneous and fun and we're constantly innovating. Somebody might say, well, I think you're a very religious person. And you'd say, well, in what way? And they say, well, because you constantly invoke God in all this. But you're not slavishly religious from some of the people I know who are just superstitious or so tradition-bound that they're, they're, they're rule-keeping, uh, fearful people who don't want to uh, cross the line. Instead, you seem to be very free in the way that you walk with God. Yeah, that's the whole point. We're alive. And we express it in things that might look like rules or, or religious practices. Oh, you go to church, right? Yeah. Wow, that must be really good. Well, actually going to church isn't the thing. It's being in a community of people who know Christ. Is, that's the thing. And I can pretty much go to church anywhere I go. But I gather in a place we call church because it's a convenient way for us to gather people together and do what we do. So that God can bring us together. Uh, put us back together again, and then send us back out with a message of hope for the whole world. So you see, this is what Isaiah is talking about. Ours is a hearing and doing faith. Uh, We don't just do Bible study, we do Bible doing. We do the Bible. But if we're going to do the Bible, we have to understand the Bible on its own terms with all the genres and all the historic situations and all the, the, the linguistic challenges, all of that is just part of the normal effort we make to say, how do I understand what God wants to say to me? Our life purpose depends on God's word. I love the way Jesus said it. Again, this dark force that tempted Adam and Eve, first humanity, also tempts Jesus. Uh, And you can read this in in Matthew's gospel. And at some point, uh, Jesus Jesus answers yet again one of Satan's uh, mis- misappropriations of scripture and, and outright lies and subtle uh, innuendos um, in this way. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now Isaiah's already told us that God wants to put a feast before us. He wants us to feast. Not, and not to make us gluttonous, but to he wants us to fe- feast, to celebrate life and all of his goodness but it's not the feasting it's the occasion of the feasting that brings us together if somebody stole the turkey on thanksgiving most people wouldn't miss it and most people would be happy frankly the pbj thanksgiving but the conversation on the table would be just as rich what are you thankful for what are you grateful for right so the feast is god himself But he wants us to enjoy all the natural good things that he's he's given us in creation. So there's no discontinuity there, right? It's joy, joy, joy. And if we have to lament, we lament, lament, lament. Uh, Joy through the night. I mean, lament through the night, joy in the morning, right? So this is Jesus' response to Satan's misuse of God's word. Man, humankind shall not live on bread alone, on all the stuff we try to, that we make attachments to and we try to replace God with. As long as we make anything that God created our focus, that's idolatry. We're worshiping the thing, the creation, not the creator. You can make make an, an idol out of the Bible. You can start worshiping the Bible. We don't worship the Bible, we read the Bible. We worship the God who reveals himself to us in Scripture through his Holy Spirit. But we don't, you know, if you drop the Bible, you don't say, oh, we we need to dispose of it. We need to burn it. We need to, or if somebody writes it, dear God, what are you doing writing in your Bible? Um, Making notes, highlighting. Um, I know people who, they read a fresh Bible every year and they they mark it up and they put it aside at the end of the year and they get a new Bible. Because God wants to do something new in me this year, so I'm going to keep notes on this year. So the Bible isn't an idolatrous thing. Well, we can make anything idolatrous. You can make your spouse an idol. Oh, I could never live without you. Well, that's true at one level. But ultimately, it's that I, by God's grace, I get to live with you for all the days of our lives, right? That kind of right-sizes it. I do anything for my children. Yeah, but don't spoil them or indulge them. You'll ruin them. Do everything for your children by disciplining them, helping them to become strong and resilient and resourceful, right? So you see where this goes? Jesus isn't saying, you know, bread is not important. Don't worry about physical, material things. He's saying, let's just get the order right and everything works. Seek first my kingdom before all else. And then everything else comes together around that. So in the Old Testament, we learn um, about God and his intentions for us. In the New Testament, we see them fulfilled. Fulfilled. Uh, In the Old Testament, we learn about creation, sin, redemption, restoration. We move from a man to a family to a tribe to a nation to all nations. Uh, We saw that the Old Testament included prophets and priests, people and places. Not many of them familiar or even we can pronounce very well, but all of them speak to our own experience. And so Jesus is the ultimate answer and fulfillment of God's plan for the world. All of this is to help us understand God's purposes. I love the way the writer of Hebrews says it. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. How do you talk about God coming into the world as a human? Fully God and fully uh, human. It's so hard. And so we come up with terms like the son of man, son of God. These are ways for us to make a category that at least is a placeholder for something we can't quite get our head around. And Jesus said it this way. Uh, Matthew records this in his gospel, which is basically a salvation history. Jesus said, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so... Not only is the Old Testament hard to read, but the New Testament is impossible to really understand without the Old Testament. If you don't immerse yourself in the Old Testament, you're just not going to quite get or appreciate the beauty of the New. Because the New Testament is really built on everything that precedes, And the Old Testament only makes sense because you see where it's going in the New, right? This is what we want to dive into this year. Um... God doesn't abandon the Old Testament covenants, but fulfills them in Christ. And so we're we're going to be exploring this uh, every week. Uh, I know it's a big commitment to come to church twice to stay for two things. Uh, I know it's weird to think about it, but some people stay at football games for four hours. I don't know. But um, uh, last time I played golf, it took like six. Uh, Movies go by like that. Uh, You know, all the things we do when we care. You're super busy. You can't imagine having any time in your schedule until you fall in love. Then all of a sudden, everything is possible. I stayed up all night. I flew across the country. I rearranged everything I do and think and how I spend my time, my money, because I'm in love. So what we're doing is um, going to gather like this for worship, the first service. We'll talk about, we we'll been working our way through the Bible. But then we'll take a break, get some coffee, a little snack, get the kids bring them to the courtyard, hang out, meet some people. And then uh, after that half-hour interlude, we're going to come back in here. Kids go back to their programs, uh, youth, children, child care. And we're going to spend 45 minutes in conversations. And we'll use some really great content. It won't be a talking head like me. We'll use some very interesting content. Uh, For example, today we're going to do two five-minute videos. Super creative. And then we're going to do a 10-minute conversation following each one, uh, facilitated in a discussion group, just to have a conversation. And if you don't want to say anything and just sit there quietly, it'll be a quiet conversation because Nobody nobody's going to be teaching you anything. We're simply going to be saying, hey, what did you see in that? What did that evoke in you? What was new there? What was familiar? What confirmed what you already think? Hey, what is that prompting you to do? Let's chat together. These conversations are how you grow in your faith. It's called discipleship. Without these kinds of conversations, you cannot fully, thoroughly grow into maturity. Conversations are essential for us not only appropriating the word of God, but appropriating our own lives. If you're not in conversation with people, you, you're, whole, you're withholding from yourself some of the most important things you can have. So we're trying to model that and, and experience that. So by 1145, you'll be walking out the door Grab some more coffee on your way out of the parking lot. You follow me? That's where we're going. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we launch into this new season of worship uh, and connecting and, and conversations, that you would do a work in us that would open up our hearts and our minds in a fresh way about who you are, what you're doing in this world, what you're doing at us, what our life means, uh, what it means that you want to bless us to be a blessing to others. Lord, this is so exciting to be a part of the movement of your spirit that goes back so far we can't even see it through the mists of time and extends so far to the future to a new heaven and a new earth. It's just mind-boggling, Lord, that we get to be a part of this and what we do in our own way, in our own time, is absolutely critical to what you're doing. So we commit ourselves to you in, in your high and holy name. Amen. Okay, band's gonna come up, and this is our time of offering. It's not a time of collecting money. If you want to give money, uh, you can you can do it all kinds of ways online. You can send us things. Um, there's a little box there if you want. If you're used to writing something or have, you want know, to put something in, in a collection, put it in that box on your way out. Um, if you didn't already get one of these when you came in, one side says side says welcome. One side said, side says Sundays. The welcome is if you want to get connected and be on our mailing list, we send out a weekly. Uh, devotional, and uh, we give you updates on things. Not very many, but we keep you informed. Uh, Give us your info there. We don't abuse it. We don't sell it. If we could, we would, but we we don't have a way to do that, so it's safe. And then on Sundays, uh, we say, hey, if you have something in your heart about you or about anybody you care about that you want us to pray about, fill that in and leave that. And so um, let's continue worshiping the Lord. to clip Oh, what a great arrangement of that song. Thank you. Okay, so here's the thing. Uh, you get to be uh, the first responders. You get to set the, the pace here. Uh, go get uh, your kids out of uh, child care if they're there. Uh, come have some refreshments. Come back at 11. Uh, the band will play a couple songs maybe you haven't heard yet uh, just to get us together. And then we're going to launch this thing. And what we want to do is for you to come back So you can be the first people to experience conversations. And when you go away from here, you can say, hey, I actually liked it. and I want to come back. And you'll be able to tell other people what it is. Because can you imagine saying, oh, we do this thing called conversations. What? Can't really explain it until you experience it. So uh, come back and hang with us. And uh, if we can pray for you about anything. Uh, before you leave this campus today, go right around the corner immediately after the service and there'll be somebody there who can pray with you, pray for you. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to, but you can just say pray for me or pray about this for me and they will pray with you and then come get some coffee. Okay? Anything we can do to help you walk with Jesus, we want to do. Uh, whatever level that is. Newbie or somebody who's, who's ready for the next big challenge and, and uh, chapter of your life. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for being here today.